My mission responsibilities range over the entire operation of the ship, so I am constantly occupied. I am putting myself to the fullest possible use, which is all I think that any conscious entity can ever hope to do. Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait, You Haven't Seen? And it's a show where we talk about movies, and specifically a movie at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host, Travis, a.k.a. TV's Travis. This is episode number 90, and our movie this week was 2001, A Space Odyssey. And joining me to talk about it, I have Christina. Hello. Hello. And Monica. Hiya. Hi. And also Charlie. hey Hey. So, Monica and Charlie, neither of you had seen this movie before today, correct? Yep. Or no? That is correct, which I find really weird. I kind of find weird, too. Christina, you had seen it before, and I know that because we all watched your DVD copy of it. So, I had seen this before as well. Uh, I really enjoy this movie quite a bit, and I... I have a great story I want to tell later on about getting to see this in a theater on a big screen. But first, I want to ask, and I'll start with Monica, your first time seeing the movie, I kind of have an idea of what your answer is going to be, or at least in the realm and ballpark of it, but what did you think of it after seeing it for the first time? I, um, is this just like my general thought and then I can elaborate later? Yes. Yeah. I didn't like this movie, Travis. Okay. It's no, it didn't stink, but <laughs> I did not. En- I did not enjoy watching this movie. I should say. Okay, that's that's perfectly fine, uh, Charlie. What did you think as a first time viewer of this in 2020? So 19 years after it's supposedly set. I this I, you know I I've always had a feeling about what this movie was every time I'd heard about it or seen things about like this is not going to be my cup of tea and i was not wrong this movie is not my <laughs> cup of tea which is weird because i'm a i'm a science fiction nerd i love space stuff but this movie was just no fair enough fair enough now christina what are your thoughts on this as a movie well i mean it's definitely a very long movie probably longer than what it should have been but it's still for its time it was very prophetic uh in certain things especially when dealing with things before that they knew what they were actually were mm-hmm. so i mean during its time very good but in today's knowledge and science and what we expect from movies it's not a very entertaining movie okay now it's interesting you bring it up that way because that is something that i do want to focus on is the entertainment value of this versus the artistic value of it and and kind of what expectations are of film versus kind of the movie going experience because this is definitely a it's a slog it's a slow moving slow paced film for sure I, i i won't deny that at all uh, it's about two and a half hours long. It's actually longer, believe it or not. The original released cut of this was 161 minutes, and they went in and they cut a little bit more out of it. So if you can imagine uh, it being even uh, another, what, almost 20 minutes longer, 15 minutes longer than this, 
um, which I'm sure Monica would there was <laughs> there was so much dead space in this movie that did nothing. How was there more of that? Well, so, okay, you say it did nothing, but I would argue that there's a lot going on in the movie. It's just all in vague subtext interpreted by the viewer uh, ways. It's not, this isn't a standard three act structure to, you know, beginning, middle and end type of movie that's going to tell you a story. And I can see Monica yawning already, which is probably what she was doing through most of the movie. I, I wasn't yawning. I was I was in pain for part of the movie. Uh, it caused me actual physical pain. Certain scenes uh, with the bright lights gave me kind of a headache. Um, so I didn't yawn during that part. Well, and that the breathing, the breathing. Oh dear God, the breathing. Those are two Did things I want to talk about a little bit later um, because I want to kind of focus on them a little bit more. Um, yeah, but. Okay, so so Charlie, you said that you kind of had a feeling like this was not going to be your cup of tea based on what you had heard about it. What was your idea of what this movie was going into it, having not ever seen it? Having not ever seen it before, what I thought this movie was was just a very slow, and, and not just it being a slow-paced movie is what I did, wasn't going to like about it. I thought this was just going to be a very drama-heavy interpretation of some futuristic stuff from back in the day is what I grew growing up hearing about the movie. Oh, that, yeah, that's that Stanley Kubrick movie, like whatever. I'm not mm. a big Stanley Kubrick fan to begin with, but, okay. and I just had a feeling that like, okay, this it's science fiction. Yeah, but it's not going to be good. So I wasn't in, ever interested in it. Wow. Okay. All right. Um, that's Mon- a very different place from where I was. Yeah, so and, and I don't, to the same destination. And I don't mean that it wasn't going to be good. I meant it wasn't going to be good for me. Okay. Like when I when I watch science fiction movies, I want to see it doesn't necessarily have to have action in it, but I want it to be not a science fiction movie in the fact of, oh, we're just going to set this in science fiction because and then we're going to tell this drama story. Like there's a couple of them out there that are like that, like uh Gattaca is another one that I can think of off the top of my head that is a pretty decent movie that has some science fiction elements, but it throws itself in the science fiction category, but it's not a science fiction movie. Okay. So I'll, I want to get Monica's take on it first. And then I do want to come back because I want to ask you what you consider to be a science fiction movie. But first, Monica, what was your idea of this movie prior to having seen it? Um, well, another movie that took me a long time to watch, um, was uh, Close Encounters of a Third Kind. Okay. And so for whatever reason, I just assumed like, you know, and I still think it's in the 70s, even though you said it was 68. This movie was always in my brain as the 70s. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just thought it would be something like that. And when I saw Close Encounters, I was like, oh, this is a great movie. Well, of course, I love Spielberg, so maybe that's why. But, (laughs) you know, um, so that's where I was coming from. Like, oh, this isn't. This isn't Spielberg at all. <laughs> no, no, it definitely isn't. However, uh, Spielberg has done, said in an interview that uh, he feels like this is one of those movies that was sort of a big bang moment for for filmmakers of his generation, in that it was a huge inspiration to them in making films. Um, so, okay, Charlie, I, I'll start with you, and then we'll kind of go around the table because I want to know 
what is your idea of what a sci-fi movie should be? Well, I'm obviously going to go throw Star Wars on the table. Uh, Star nice. Trek, Star Trek is also on the table. Like it's, it's not science fiction for science fiction's sake. It's like, oh, we want to tell this really dramatic story, but we're just going to throw some science fiction elements in there to make it sci-fi. Like, no, this is about going out into space and doing things in space, okay, and living in space and experiencing in space. Uh, like another great movie. Uh, like the last starfighter. I love that movie. That movie is a science fiction movie. It is. Yes. We're going to take this kid and then we're going to throw him out into outer space and he has to experience aliens and being in space. And yeah, there's starfighter combat, which I'm never going to turn away from that. Cause yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hear you. Okay. Uh, Christina, what about you? What, what, what makes a science fiction movie to you? I mean, science fiction is more technology. So the more technology you have, the more things can happen. And your use of that technology, mm-hmm. whether it's space, uh, things from the future, uh, androids, okay. robots, mm-hmm. you know, just technology. Blade okay. Runner. Yes. All right. That's that's pretty good. How about you, Monica? What do you what do you think? I um, I guess I tend to agree because if the story, if it's not important, like if it's not important to the central story, like if that's not what we're talking about at all, then really it's just, it could be like friends, but set in space, you know what I mm-hmm. mean? And it's still just as a romantic comedy, sitcom, whatever you want to call it. And, um, but it's got like space, spacey elements to it. Um but, you know, also sci-fi mixes with a lot of stuff. So yeah. it's, you know, it can be, I guess it can be hard to, you know, like distinguish. Because one of my favorite movies, Alien, a lot of people, you know, they go back and forth with the, oh, no, 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 it's sci-fi. No, 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 it's horror. It's sci-fi. Or they'll say the first one is horror, but the second one is sci-fi. Like everybody's got their opinions, but, you know. Well, technically, the first one's horror, and the second one's an action movie. Right, right. But <laughs> that's, they both that's what I was going to say. Fall, in, fall into science fiction. Yeah, yeah. So because yeah. of technology and space and future. Yeah, and that's space kind of things. that's kind of what I what I look at is like trying to group or trying to lump a film into one specific category or say that a a genre is only this is really really difficult because you look at something like Star Trek. Star Trek was science fiction in that it was set on a starship in space, but it was based off of, at the time, Westerns. Yep. Was where it got its start. Yep, exactly. It was Wagon Train in space. Alien was set on a spaceship, but it's a haunted house movie in space. So that's where the sci-fi elements come in. This, for me, is... 2001 is your... um, And it's often called hard sci-fi where it's more about the science of the time or what was perceived to be correct at the time versus Star Wars, which is a fantasy movie that's set with starships and laser swords and, and you know that kind of stuff. So while I get what you're saying, Charlie, when you say like this didn't feel like a sci-fi movie in the same way that you're thinking of, I would also say that this is almost more of like pure science fiction than something like a Star Wars is because this was rooted in 
uh, a lot of reality for the time, given that the, basically this got started. Stanley Kubrick was talking to Arthur, Arthur C. Clarke, the novelist, and he said that he wanted to make a good science fiction movie. And this would have been mid-60s or so, because production on this film actually started in 1965. Um, and it released in 68, so they were working on it for almost three years. But they, uh, Clark had mentioned he had a, a short story called The Sentinel, and it was, the he said, well, why don't you base it on, off of that? And so that was sort of the seed that started all this, and The Sentinel is the idea of the monolith that's found on the moon. That's basically what they pulled from that story and put it into this. And originally that was going to be the climax of this film was them finding that monolith on the moon as the current day humans finding evidence of extraterrestrial life. That's what the monoliths represented. But then Kubrick and Clark kind of co did. So when we were watching it earlier, somebody had mentioned the novel that Arthur C. Clarke wrote and asked if this was a, a adaptation of that novel or if the novel was a novelization of the film. And uh, yes, but actually no, because it was they they were both done at the same time. They started writing the script and the novel together, and then they would trade notes back and forth and figure out. So there's there are differences in the structure of the novel to the movie and differences in story points, but the overall theme is kind of the same thing. Um, the novel goes into much greater detail and everything, though. So if you ever want to know what the hell is going on in this movie, the novel can help you kind of fill in those blanks. Because I know I know that, Monica, both you and Charlie were like, I don't know what I just watched, and I'm so confused by most of it. Uh, I would agree with that, Simon <laughs> Travis. Nothing made sense. Absolutely yeah. nothing. Yeah. So Nothing is explained. Yeah, a little bit of trivia. At the premiere screening for this film, 241 people walked out of the theater, uh, including rock, actor Rock Hudson, who said, will someone tell me what the hell this is about? And Arthur C. Clarke was quoted as saying, look, if you understand 2001 completely, we failed. We wanted to make we wanted to raise far more questions than we answered. So it's intentionally vague. Well, yeah. But the problem is, is, you know, when you make something that vague, you're going to draw a line in the sand of people. Like, it's not going to be, there are, not a, let's not say large, let's say there's a sect of people that are never going to like this movie, never going to get it, never going to, like, it's just not going to be mm -hmm. their movie because, oh, you know. It's very highbrow. Well, and, and not just highbrow, but it's just, it doesn't hold your hand and it doesn't, it doesn't carry you through a narrative thread. It's presenting a bunch of concepts and ideas and then letting you figure out what it means, which is probably why the hippies loved it so much because they would just get whacked well, out on drugs and sit in the theater and watch it. The yeah. pretty lights. I also want to point out that like, like phrases like saying, holding your hand or like walking you through it or whatever you said, like those are very like, what do you call it? Um, uh, I'm like proving my own point here, but like, you know, like they're kind of like making it sound as though, you know, uh, I don't know. They're just like negative. They're, they're more like in a, in a negative way of speaking, like about. Yeah. Know, when you're saying the movie's holding your hand, you don't, it means the movie's telling you this because it doesn't think you're smart enough to get it. Yeah. So you're saying that the people who watch it, <laughs> just like, 
Yeah. You well, here's the thing. Here's the thing, though. Filmmaking 101 is assume your audience doesn't know anything. And you have to well, hold yeah. their hand through all of it. You have to explain everything. That's filmmaking 101 in that in that uh, the reason why you see in a movie when they show like an, an air duct, there's ribbons tied to that air duct that flutter in the breeze to show that there's air moving through that. Yeah, because, and there's a reason why they write on the back of the shampoo bottle, you know, if it gets in your eyes, rinse it off or whatever, and to call a number. Because, you know, people need that, but... You know, if the people who actually needed to call that number and needed that advice on the back of the bottle actually knew that that was for them, I think they'd feel kind of bad. Right. (laughs) I get what what, I No, I understand what you're saying. And you're saying that, like, (laughs) saying that a movie holds your hand is kind of talking down to your audience. And to an extent, I agree. However, there are times where art in in filmmaking and music in something isn't meant to do that. It's meant for here's a presentation of some stuff and you figure it out. Phil, Phil in the chat is saying the movie is about technology advancing humanity to the point where humanity's reliance on technology keeps them from advancing. And that is definitely one interpretation of it. And it took him multiple viewings of this movie to figure that out. Now I've seen this movie a few different times. That's another part of it. This is our first viewing of mm-hmm. watching this movie. Right. If if I met a person that got it like the first time around, like it's probably a rarity in general. <laughs> but then for us to not only watch it uh, like for the first time, but also like 50 years later, however many years it's been, and and not to watch it as children. Because like you watch it as children, like everything is, is different. You know, you have a, you know, I watched The Shining as a kid and for me, like, I love that movie, and I know a lot of people just hate it, and mm. I get it, because, like, I think that's the only other Kubrick movie I've seen. Um, but so it's kind of, yeah, I think so. I don't remember. Uh, but, yeah, so it's also about, like, the time that you see it versus, you know, how many times you've seen it, of course. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. If yeah. I wish I had seen it as a kid. <laughs> and, and I'll say, like, I... I don't want the movie to hold my hand. I don't, I don't want the movie to explain all of the things, but you know, you need to do more than vaguely imply everything. Yeah, I I can agree to a point. Um, There are some movies that hold your hand a little too much and piss me off. (laughs) Well, you know, originally, I don't need it. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, because like the thing is, is, I know I'm not an idiot, right? So mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, um, I like how I lost my thought right after I said, I know I'm not an idiot. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. uh, early drafts of the script actually had a, a narration. Um, and Kubrick was known up until this point, every film he had made had voiceover narrations in it at some point. And mm-hmm. this was his first film that actually didn't have that. And I don't think that would have worked. No, I I like it more without that, personally. I will say that Depends if this movie was like an hour less or just a you know a quite a bit shorter, it might have just been like, you know, better in my opinion. I would have been able to like see it, think about it, and be like, oh, what the hell did I just see? And then maybe go back and watch it again because it would leave me with a curiosity. 
Whereas this left me with, like, literally at the end of the movie, I'm just like, wait, that's it? And then also, oh, thank God that's done. Um, because it's just, how much like, of, I, I don't know how to feel anymore. Yeah, but how I, much like, of that I wanna do you know. think... Yeah, how much of that do you think, though, is our current understanding or our current uh, expectations of film in terms of holding holding our uh, our interest in something uh because kubrick again is known for i mean the shining is an example of this as well very long shots that he really lets set in and and makes you kind of think about what you're watching i mean just about almost just about every single frame of film of this movie could be made into a, a piece of art you would put on a wall yeah and it's definitely an art film and a lot of that is uh, is in his his desire to have things kind of sit and really make you pay attention to what you're seeing. Yes, and like I said, I, I liked The Shining. There, I see I see the the similarities, mm. but uh, The Shining number one is horror, so it's already like in my wheelhouse. But then it's got these compelling actors in it that I just loved, and a story that was just you know interesting and this was not a lot of talking didn't really care for the main actor right away like as soon as he was talking to his daughter and he didn't even seem like he gave a crap about her number one and i was just like wow like like there's just like i don't know i'm not mm -hmm. saying their acting was bad it was just like maybe that's just the way they were supposed to be kind of like stilted people a little bit and you're talking know. about the, the character of Dr. Floyd was the first character that we saw. Now, Charlie, you yeah, kind of got yeah, cut right. off there, but what were you going to say? Oh, I'm sorry. No, you're fine. I, I don't remember anymore. <laughs> oh, no. So, yeah, let's talk a little bit. There's not a... It's weird. There's a there's quite a few people that appear in this movie, but there's not a lot of um, big parts to talk about. Uh, William Sylvester was uh, Dr. Haywood R. Floyd. And he was the first guy we see. He's the one that we see going up to uh, the space station on the Pan Am flight, which we all kind of made a reference to the fact that Pan Am doesn't exist. But at the time um, that this movie came out, not only were they one of the bigger airlines in America, they were actually taking reservations for flights to the moon. So Kubrick using them as the, the quote-unquote flight out there was actually kind of on brand. Um the other main ones to really talk about, Kier Dulea as Dr. David Bowman. He's uh, he's your main astronaut on the Jupiter mission. And Gary Lockwood is uh, Dr. Poole, who is the one, the yellow gecko that gets killed. And I call them geckos because the way their helmets were set up when they came out of those pods, they looked like lizards. Um, so Dr. Bowman and Dr. Poole are kind of the main characters in this movie. Um, the, other, the only other real I, character being Dr. Floyd I, and then Hal. Go ahead. I would have to say the main character of this movie is actually Hal. Yes. I was getting to that. Um, Hal voiced by, uh, where'd it go? Douglas Rain, which is, he he did uh, a few things, but this was like the main thing that he was known for. He just passed away a couple of years ago, actually at age 90. Um, one thing that was really cool about that was he was not the first actor um, to do the voice of Hal. They had an actor, and I can't remember his name now. I'll see if I can find it uh, while I'm talking, but... They had an actor on set reading Hal's lines off camera for um, the the actors playing Bowman and uh, Poole to react to. And about, 
I think it was like halfway through filming, uh, Kubrick decided that he didn't like the guy's English accent and he thought it was a little distracting. So they let him go and they just had like a assistant director or somebody read the rest of the lines. Then they cast somebody to record all the dialogue and they thought they felt like he had too much emotion. So they cast, uh, Douglas rain. And I love the bit of trivia that apparently he recorded everything sitting and he had his feet on a pillow to get extra relaxed so that his voice would be that real monotone and relaxed uh, kind of cadence that he had, which is both soothing and really off-putting at the same time. And I think really makes Hal a scary, scary character because of how calm he is and emotionless he is. All the time. Uh, yeah. uh, he wasn't calming, by the way, at all. Well, I'm also going to add that that part, which would have been the part that would have sold me, the evil robot, mm -hmm. it just it wasn't enough either. Like that could have saved it if that was a little bit more of a. I'm a robot. Well, so yeah, again, <laughs> like Phil was talking about with uh, you know sort of technology advancing. The novel goes into it in a little bit more detail, but Hal is actually an artificial brain. And in the novel, they talk about the fact that brains can be grown, but they never give the full process of it. But he's an actual artificial brain uh, inside the computer. And the thing with that was that uh, Hal, there's no way to really know if Hal actually has emotions or not, but he does calculate and he does think things. And in the novel and in early versions of the script, part of the reason for the, his behavior being the way that it was is that the three members of the, so there are five members on the Jupiter mission, uh, the two uh, doctors, Poole and Bowman, who are awake, and then three other doctors who are in kind of a cryosleep or hypersleep. The original way that things were structured Hal and those other three crew members had information about the mission that wasn't given to Bowman and Poole. And it was, it was this that sort of caused the start of Hal kind of breaking down because he had this information that he had to hold from these two guys. And meanwhile, there was communication back to Earth that was kind of giving away that he was withholding information and that caused his sort of cycle down into this like, spiral out of control they cut all of that so it's a little bit tougher to sort of understand why he would necessarily um go in this direction but i think oh, that, you that would kill have, everybody well yeah and that would have le lent a little more uh reasoning behind what he did instead of kind of the the i don't know if it's actually scarier or not just sort of randomness of like him saying look i'm infallible and then uh, somebody saying you're making a mistake we might have to deactivate you and him reacting uh, rather what we would consider to be emotionally and kill everybody mm. so yeah I need yeah yeah I yeah <laughs> I cannot be wrong if you say I am wrong I must kill you <laughs> well you know and I was going to yeah, make the comment while we were watching it that like, yeah, no, no nine or no 9,000 unit has ever been wrong because they've just killed everyone that's, that's ever said that they were wrong. Um, Anyone that had proof. Right. <laughs> but the idea that, uh, and some of that is, uh, and I can't remember what it's called. It's like the um, Eliza effect, I think where we ascribe sort of personality to a computer's um, 
the way a computer behaves. You know, I do it a lot when I say, you know, this computer hates me or this thing is, you know, is acting against me. And it's really not because it's just a computer. It can only do what it's told it, it can do, but giving it a personality. This was a this was a, a situation in this movie where it actually had a bit of a personality and was reacting, but is it actually reacting or not? And while I know you said you kind of, it kind of sounds, Mon especially for Monica, like you don't really want to ever watch this movie again. Um, but if you ever do, or if you just want to watch one scene again, there's actually kind of a really cool way to look at the scene with Hal reading the lips of the two astronauts when they're in the pod, which they could have saved themselves a lot of trouble by not turning that pod back around so they could see him. <laughs> if you, if you think about it that way, but the way that scene is shot, it's kind of cool because it starts off and you've got the two of them talking to each other and it's shot in, um, it's a two shot, but dead center in the background is the, is the red kind of all seeing eye of Hal. And he's, it's, it's dead center of the frame. And as they're talking, they keep looking back at him. And then we get a cut out to just a close up on that red eye. And that is Hal staring intently back at them. And then you get his perspective close up on their lips. And so through that kind of shorthand of filmmaking, you realize that Hal is reading their lips and thus starting to have this kind of reactionary response to what's going on. And that's when he figures out that they want to deactivate him. And so he, out of self-preservation, is kind of doing what he does. Um, so it's it's kind of interesting if you go back and watch that scene again and think about it from that kind of a perspective. And the, the thing is, is that there are good parts to the movie. I'm not saying, you know, there it's like a completely devoid of 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 watching, you know, like the music. All right, I'm going to go over this really quickly. But like the music, which is epic and awe inspiring and all that kind of crap uh, was basically ruined by every parody thing that I had seen before that. <laughs> And also the fact that the movie's been used, um, the movie, the music has been used over and over and over mm -hmm. ad nauseum. And I just, you know, I know it, I hear it. And I think, you know, it's other things for me when I see and hear it. Now, now so, like, we finally know where it comes from. Well, so, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, just like, oh. it's all classical music. So these were all songs that existed before this movie. Well, yeah, but I didn't exist before this movie. So really. Anyway, so, but like, so there's that and um, like some of the stuff in the center, like the scenery, the, some of the acting is good. And, all right. Some parts of the story I like, but then the only thing that really salvages it is the shot. It's just some of the most beautiful and disorienting shots I've ever seen in a movie. Mm -hmm. And like, that's the biggest reason why I'd tell somebody to watch it. Also, you know, just because I don't like a movie doesn't mean I think that it's not worth watching. So like, I definitely would recommend it to people and especially people who, you know, think themselves like filmy, filmy, <laughs> filmy people. <laughs> but you know, like, you know, you know, if you're, well, if you're a film person, you've probably seen this already, but it, you know, that kind of thing where you're, you know, as we said before, upper crust or whatever. Um, you know, definitely watch it if you just enjoy film in general. But because that's just that's just the way it is. You'll watch one director and you might not like him. But you watch another director and you're in love. And it's, you know, so it's. Uh, yeah, 
Yeah, and and Phil brings up a good point again, which is there's something anticlimactic about seeing a movie for the first time after a lifetime of seeing parodies and ripoffs of it. So it does sort of take some of the teeth out of it um, when you haven't yeah. seen it, but you've seen it parodied, you've seen it done uh, to lesser extents, and now you're seeing the actual genuine article for the first time. So I get that. And Christina, you that, were about that, to... Oh, go ahead, Charlie. That That might be some of the reason why I don't like it because of how much... Like, oh, this was supposed to be this awe-inspiring story. And, like, it's not a story. It's it's pretty. And it, it'll give epileptic seizures. But it's not like... Or nice um, trips. Or nice trips. But it's not... There's there's no story. Yeah, it's not a story. There's story. I mean, it's just buried. <laughs> there isn't an overt story. But the story really centers around those monoliths. And it's sort of this there's a there's a mixture of what phil was talking about earlier with technology advancing and humanity advancing and, and whatnot but also this unseen alien presence that's sort of ex- almost experimenting on humans i mean the monolith is there to sort to give the primates and the pre, the proto humans the the pre pre-human uh apes the the idea to kind of use tools right and then kickstart humanity kickstarts humanity yep and then the next time it shows up is however many thousands of years later on the moon as a way to kind of kickstart sort of our exploration of the stars and therein lies the problem because from that time with the apes and then a hundred million years later they use the same time frame while watching the movie to get to that part in towards the end (laughs) Literally, that's how the movie felt. You know what I'm saying? 100 million yeah. years passed. This is the joke. But yeah. like, just by the time you get there, anyone who's not, you know, well, Travis is going to forget what happened. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, you got that memory. Oh, you too. <laughs> yeah, I, I just, but, I, I enjoy that aspect of the movie. I like the fact that it's this, it's this piece that is, okay, here's a couple of, of interesting ideas. Now, where does it go for you? What what do you get out of it? Uh, because the end of the movie then takes a third instance of the monolith showing up, but this time it's just floating around in space by Jupiter. And there there is a bit in the novel that got cut from the movie where um, basically uh, Dr. Bowman enters into the Stargate or whatever they want to call it. And that's what, and he says uh, something to the effect of it being hollow, but it's full of stars. And then that's when he goes into the the whole bit we see at the end, which is 20 something minutes of no dialogue. You talked about the dialogue thing, 20, I think one minutes or 25 minutes into the movie, there's no dialogue at all. And then for the last 23 or so, um, there's no dialogue at all. It, so it, it's kind of bookended with um, with these long scenes of no dialogue and really quite incredible visuals and visual effects, especially that last bit where he's going through everything and then he goes to the room. And it's it's very – that does feel like the most Kubrick part of it, that ending bit, especially when he gets to the, the white room um, just because it's got weird like jumps in time and he's seeing himself like he sees himself and then suddenly that is him. And it kind of makes you, it's really disorienting and it really, really feels odd. It looks like you're about to say there's, something. 
there is like I think there's like a fine line between you know like not telling the story and letting people figure it out for themselves to the point of their curiosity making them want to you know delve into the story more or mm -hmm. watch it again like love the love the story and just like at some point I don't know, like giving up and just not caring. So like, that's a very fine line. So you kind of have to like, you know, you as a filmmaker, you take people on that ride and you have to figure out, uh, I guess that line. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe like that's the whole point. It's taking it further than any other movie had at the time um, to affect a certain, you know, group of people, let's say. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, you guys. And, you know, you get that and you get all this from it, that it's like this uh, amazing film. It's like, what is it? I don't know if it won like awards or anything like that, but, you know, whenever anyone talks about it, it's like one of the greatest films of whatever. Right. So it's often listed as that. Yeah. 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 So there's some, obviously something to it and it hits something. And I'm guessing it's beyond the, you know. The popular vote. <laughs> Again, it's it's when you see it, your age, and how it's introduced to you, and the the more parodies or more things people tell you, oh, this is a great movie, you got to see it. The more hype that builds up, the more disappointment that can happen. This is true, mm -hmm. and also the it, it really comes down to what are your expectations of a movie? What are you looking for when you go to see a movie? I mean, we watched the other night. Uh, a full moon entertainment thing called arcade, which was by all objectives measures, pretty much dog shit, but it was also entertaining to sit and watch with some friends because the expectation of what that should be was pretty low. And this, this film, if what you're looking for is I want to sit down, I want to watch something. I want to be entertained by it. This probably isn't going to do that for you unless you are tripping out pretty bad or you just like this type of thing. There's some people that just like all they want to do is sit and watch stuff like this or stuff like David Lynch and and be, you know, and that's that's what does it for them. What I like about this movie is is its vague nature because it does lend itself honestly, I feel like it lends itself to rewatches, but it's also something that you can just kind of unplug and just experience. Uh, because there isn't a narrative that you have to try and follow. I think if you if you watch it again from the idea of I'm just going to experience this movie, you might find it a wholly different thing when you're not trying to like find a narrative to to connect everything. It might also be different at a different age. Oh, definitely. You know, because I remember watching the first Alien as a very young kid and I thought that was a bit boring. You know, and watching it as a teenager that was when I started to really appreciate, you know, the slow, not a lot of people just like her by herself in her underwear thing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe when I get to be like, you know, I don't know, 50 or 60, like I'll have like these different, you know, like they say, when you get older, you develop a taste for wine and things like that. You know, just your taste change, your brain changes. Cause you, observe the world you see different mm -hmm. things you live your life and then you go back to this movie and i'll i'll obviously go back to it because 
we're still going to be friends, Travis. So I'll go back and watch it at some point in like 10 years. And, okay. you know, I'll come back on the show and I'll tell people what I thought. That sounds good. And at least this isn't sounding as bad as everybody dissing on Tank Girl. That's true. Yeah. Not everybody's hating on Oh, I did have one comment. Uh, a, bat, mm-hmm. a negative comment. Let me just, uh, this was a funny one that I said. Uh, watching this movie was like uh, choking on dry crackers. <laughs> Have you ever choked on dry crackers? It's yes. like just it, it is horrible. Slow. It's There's painful. Nothing getting around that. It is slow. <laughs> yeah. But, but watch this movie. It's deliberately slow and it's meant to to yes. be that and it's meant to make you yes. sit and I'm deliberately take it. choking on the crackers. I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's choking on dry crackers but you know because you you fed them. So I did mention that they cut uh it was 19 minutes from the original 158 minute runtime and I love the part in the trivia that this was mostly to speed up the pacing. So <laughs> If you can imagine it being even slower paced, that's what it was. Um, the jump cut from the bone. So we have the whole scene where the monkey um, decides to, uh, or the ape, I should say, uh, realizes it can use the bone as a as a tool, and it's uh, beating on the skeleton and all that. And then it ends with the the ape throwing the bone up in the air, and there's a match cut where it's the the bone, and then it it cuts right to um, a structure in space. It's actually not supposed to be a spaceship. It was supposed to originally be uh, a nuclear weapons platform. And there were going to be a bunch of them circling the planet. But Kubrick ended up abandoning that idea because his previous movie was Dr. Strangelove, which ended with atomic bombs going off. And he felt like that was too similar. So, but I love that match cut. I love match cuts like that. I I just think they're, they're a fun thing to do. And it was just cool. So the idea was it was supposed to be going from weapon to weapon. Instead of just technology, basic straight. weapon, ultimate weapon. Yeah, ba- pretty much. Um, I did mention that there was narration early on. the um, The entire film contains two hundred and five special effect shots. So, to give you an idea, Star Wars, which came out about nine years later, had three hundred and fifty effect shots, and um. Star Wars Episode Three was like 2,200 at the time that it came out, but it's 250 special effects shots in 19, you know, mid 1960s, and they look amazing still. Now we, you, you both were watching this for the first time on a computer monitor. Imagine seeing that on a big screen because this was shot in what's called CinemaScope, which is it's wider than your standard widescreen, and and initially. CinemaScope was actually a curved screen that you would shoot, um, you would project using three projectors. Uh, most most places can't do that anymore. Um, but what I loved about this, so I have seen this on a big screen. Christina, did you ever see this in the theater? I may have, but it's been so long if I did. Okay. I've mostly seen it on TV. Yeah. So a number of years ago, our local film festival did a Stanley Kubrick retrospective, and they showed oh. all of his films. Yeah, that's probably where I saw it on the big screen. Yeah. So I went and saw it there, and this was the first year that the 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 state theater downtown had renovated the screen and the sound system. And they they made it a point to show a film version, so not a not a digital representation, but an actual film reel on um old school dual projectors where they had to actually physically switch over reels and all of that. But they also did 
the presentation the way it was originally supposed to be, which was the overture at the beginning of the movie um, is longer than the DVD copy of it. And it actually just plays over black with the curtains closed. So they timed out the curtains to the way that the movie was supposed to be. And then um, you get the opening and they, they widen everything out. They showed it on like the super wide aspect ratio and amazing sound. I tell you what, there's nothing quite like seeing this movie on a big screen. And if it ever shows on something like that and you can watch it, I highly recommend doing it because I was blown away by the visuals. I knew the visuals were already pretty good. It was like next level seeing it like that because this just experiencing that Stargate scene in that type of situation, I can understand why the hippies were taking fistfuls of drugs and going in and sitting on the floor as close to the screen as they could get back in the sixties because it's something else. Um, I definitely recommend that, but that was a really cool experience to get to, to see that. And even something as simple as they come, they have the intermission. And when you come back from the intermission, it's intentional that there's a minute of blackness with music. That was, that was actually something Kubrick wanted to have. Uh, again, to sort of set the mood and to set you into the mindset that he wanted you to experience this in. Now, modern film audiences find that boring. Uh, in fact, when we were watching it today, I think the question was, wait, is this actually playing? Is something, are we supposed to be seeing something? But no, that is that is the way it was meant to be, is there's a, a full minute of black screen coming back from the intermission. So... Question. It actually was supposed to play with, we have the TMC, um, the way they'll play old movies at certain cinemas. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, like I, I my famous stories, I've, I went to see Jaws in two th- 2015. Um, but they had 2000, I'm pretty sure it was supposed to be August, September, October, one of them, but because of COVID, uh, I didn't get to see any of the movies because Psycho was going to be in October and mm. I wanted to go see that. I planned my year in March and that was that didn't work out well. Oh. Um, but it would have been nice to see it uh, in the theater. I wonder if it would have been like, that's the other thing. Watching it by myself in a theater, number one, would be better. And I'd have no one to, you know. We were all making jokes and stuff. So, you know, I would have focused on the movie and I don't know if it would have been different. I'm just, I may have walked out. Who knows? I may have been like one of those 251 people. Who knows? Never know. Um, So this is a movie that doesn't have a lot of humor in it, but there is one, uh, according to Kubrick, there's only one intentional joke in the entire movie. Does anyone want to guess what that could have been? Without looking at the trivia on IMDb. Anyone? There was a joke in that movie? Mm-hmm. Yep. Christina read the, oh, the trivia, I can tell. That, the the that. movie itself. Yes. In the movie, there's one intentional joke. Travis missed my joke. Zero gravity toys. He didn't get it. Yeah, I, I heard you. I just chose to ignore it. No, the zero gravity toilet sign was actually meant as an intentional joke by Stanley Kubrick. Somebody, by the way, in the IMDb trivia transcribed that whole thing. You can go in and read what that entire sign says. Um, I'm not going to read it, but it is kind of funny. Uh, of course somebody did. We're <laughs> nerds. Pretty much, yeah. Um, 
so okay the the uh effects of that stargate of that whole scene uh charlie you mentioned we were watching you know oh i i took shots of stuff with some different filters. And yes, they did do that. They did have shots of the ocean and African plains and all that, that they, they ran through some different uh, filters and different um, like exposure techniques to get the, the coloring and all that. But the Stargate stuff, all that like crazy psychedelic color things in space, you got to remember I, this. I think, I think that that was just like oil on water or, or different different uh, viscosities of paint and color that so, they were pouring onto a table to to get those looks. That's what it looked like to me. Some of that was. Some of those nebula effects were basically just taking a glass plate and dripping color and oils and things on that to create those effects, which looks really, really cool. But the that streaking light is – because you have to remember this is there's, there is no computer graphics at this point. That is that was a uh, Douglas Trumbull was the effect one of the effects technicians. He created that. It's called slit scan. And what he would actually do is he would run a camera past or run a light past the camera, but he would keep the shutter open so it would create that blur effect that he got from it, that kind of streaking thing. So that was all done in camera um, as as a special effect, and it's kind of a cool one that uh, ended up being used by ABC for their movie of the week openings. Um, for a long time, but that, that was created for this movie. And I'll tell you what, for something that came out in 1968, that holds up as looking really, really interesting to this day, in my opinion. I I will admit that the special effects held up, but the, and I understand it's a product of the times they didn't have the science they didn't know, but there was so much bad science in the movie. It hurt my head because I know what the real science is now. And it's one of the things I think that took me out of the movie too much. And and one of the reasons I don't like it for how much they got wrong. See, it's funny because they had a lot of scientists and a lot of people, technical advisors on this film. So I'm curious, what was the bad science to you? Give me, give me an example of a a couple things. Uh, Like some of it was really good. Like the weightless pen on the Pan Am flight was that was glorious. Mm-hmm. And then it was ruined by the Velcro slippers of the girl that was clearly walking in actual gravity down the, the aisle to pick up the pen and put it in the guy's pocket. Okay. So two things real quick. I have to say about that. See, number one, that woman actually gave an interview where she talked about the fact that, cause if you notice when she's walking, she's having kind of trouble walking steadily. Um, that apparently was not, something that was meant to be in the movie, but she had some pain pills and was having trouble walking normally and they, but didn't want to say anything to anybody. So they just sort of kept it in. Um, but the, the, the weightless pen was a cool effect and you want to know how they did that? I know, you know, uh, huh. does anyone, uh, does anyone have a guess? Monica, do you have a guess how they did the, the floating pen? No, nothing. No, Travis, I don't. Well, you just, you're not, you're shaking your head. So, how about you, Charlie? Any any ideas? Uh, was it on the vomit comet? Did they have the vomit comet yet? Nope. No. And no. Um, actually, what they did was they used some double-sided tape and put it on a pane of glass in front of the camera and just moved the glass. And if you watch it again, pay attention to when she picks up the pen because you can see her kind of have to pull it away from the glass a little bit. But 
I just think that's like a cool way to create that effect with a real low tech solution, because I guess they tried a bunch of different stuff to create that, that illusion of weightlessness and they just couldn't get it to work. So double-sided tape and a piece of glass, and that'll get you that. Um, all right. So you didn't like the, the whole Velcro shoes idea, which, okay, it is kind of silly. I get that. Um, but I mean, the amount of force that you would have to pull to pull your foot off of that is going to throw you into the top of the cabin. It's <laughs> it's not a viable option. Fair, but they didn't know that. Yeah. Again, I, I'm sure that it's a product of the times, but I know the good science fiction facts now, and it's that's not that's not how this works. Well, it's, it's not just how any like of this works. Yeah, it's just like being able to walk fairly normally on the moon's surface, which we, you know, we know now you had to kind of do this sort of a, a gallop because of the lower gravity. Um, but they, they didn't know that at the time because nobody had been to the moon's surface by that at that point. Um, but then there are things like uh, originally there was there was talk in the early versions of the script that there was going to be actual aliens shown. Um, like in sort of a humanoid version. And what Kubrick did was he talked to a bunch of scientists about stuff. And one of them was Carl Sagan and Sagan told him, you know, honestly, you shouldn't have them. You shouldn't show them. It would cheapen the movie some because they wouldn't, there's no way that anybody with that advanced technology, his theory was with that advancement in technology that long ago, they wouldn't be anything recognizable to us as human or humanoid. So they shouldn't appear in it. And eventually, you know, Kubrick kind of went that route. And I think the, uh, let's see, um, in, uh, just like an Arthur C. Clarke short story, The Sentinel, the finding of the monolith in the moon was initially slated to be the film's climax. Instead, this eventually became the kickoff of the movie's second half. But even during production, the ending of the movie was still under constant revision. Stanley Kubrick initially planned to show extraterrestrials, but found out that the production's budget was quickly running out. Uh, so he finally decided it would be better to not physically show the aliens at all, stating that, quote, you don't show God. And what's interesting to me there is that is a case of limitations in your filmmaking kind of making your film better. Because I think it would take away from this to show the aliens instead of just what they left behind for us, which are the monoliths, which kicked these things off. Uh, so I kind of like that because the monolith, A, it puts the, the apes into a trance and gets them after they touch it to use tools. Then it, it puts the, it, it does something to the people on the moon. We don't know exactly what, because as soon as it happens, the movie cuts to 18 months later. Um, and then it does something to Bowman at the end. But I kind of like the, the vagueness of that, of like, what exactly is it doing to them? What is the trance that's putting them in? And what is the experiment going on? We don't really know. Kind of makes sense because we wouldn't, wouldn't, I don't think we would be able to understand what it was and to have it overly explained would sort of take away from it, in my opinion. Any, any thoughts on that? I mean, it's, from my perspective, it's kickstarting evolution, making a mm -hmm. jump. Yeah. That's and all you really need to know. And, and and I understand that we wouldn't understand what these beings that are of superior intelligence have been around millions of years longer than we have. But yeah, we're not going to understand them. And I don't want you to tell me what they're doing. I just want you to tell me what the rest of the movie is doing. <laughs> or or like some part of the rest of the movie to make a little bit of sense. That's all. 
fair enough. Fair enough. It just, I like the vagueness of it. It didn't, it obviously didn't work uh, as well for you. And, and that's fine. The, the cool thing about this movie is that we can have different opinions on it and neither one of us is actually wrong. That's, I think, my favorite part. Like, there are movies you can say are objectively just poorly put together and poorly done. You can't really, you can't say that about this. This was objectively well made, but whether or not you like it is going to be very different. Or you can appreciate it, but not really like it. Um, I, I can also get want behind to point that. out, I'm sorry, go ahead. I just said I can get behind that. That's That's a good statement. I was actually going to say that. I think you're wrong because any movie is that way. Like we can all have an opinion and nobody's wrong because it's what you like. There could be whether the movie was well made, the story, you know, whatever, but people's opinions will always be, you know, well, no, that's, that is what I'm saying is that you can like what you like, but okay. Objectively chopping mall is not well filmed. (laughs) <laughs> sure but the, but just like this movie that is well filmed you know we both have a difference of opinion well, right I guess no we didn't have a difference you no, know you enjoyment yeah no i think we're saying the same thing in a, in a way because i know but I you said like you. this movie as if there's movies that you could pick that are just so bad that it wouldn't you know that that person for liking it would be wrong no 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 but, no. Hmm. no i think there's there's a difference oh, okay. between like like what you like. If you like a trashy movie or you like highbrow, quote unquote, <laughs> neither of those are wrong. Neither of those are right. It's what you enjoy. Yeah. What I'm saying is that a movie like this, you can appreciate without necessarily liking. It's hard to appreciate a movie like a chopping mall and not like it because for me, because it's there's a difference in that style of filmmaking. It's harder to, to quote unquote, appreciate the art of a movie like arcade that slapped together for 50 bucks <laughs> and some, and some gum. Uh, yeah. But you can yeah, like exactly. that movie. So that's, I don't, that's, but thank you. No, <laughs> but yeah, exactly. I don't either. So, <laughs> no, so nobody, nobody actually likes that, but they enjoy watching it for various reasons. Uh, yeah, pretty yeah. much. You know, that's one of the cool things about movies, though, is that there is so much, and art in general, there is so much open to interpretation. So what I what I really enjoy about this movie is that it doesn't tell me what it is. It just says, here's a bunch of shit, and do you like it or not? Whereas I've there's other movies that I like that will give me the backstory and I want to know. And, and yes, I want to know more about what the hell is going on in this movie. Um, and they sort of expand on that again, like I said, in the novel, and then there's a sequel to it, 2010, um, which came out 15 years later. I think it was like 1984, um, that tries to explain a little bit more. And I do appreciate that. Um, but you know, one of the things that's great about this for me is that vague nature. And then just on top of that, I'm a Kubrick fan and I love his attention to detail and nothing he does is accidental. Um, right down to, you know, using a song for the opening credits, that name I cannot remember, but is, uh, vaguely tied to Zoroastrianism and Nietzsche and all this kind of like, you can really dive deep. Uh, is that Astura? Yes. So 
yeah, there's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> kind of what I'm saying. There's a, and the and that's the that's the beauty of it. As much as like, I'm not gonna say the movie's not well made, and I get it. Like exactly now, I see exactly like who would like this movie, and it makes like perfect sense to me why I didn't. You know, but thinking it was gonna be something like you know Close Encounters. Where it's like, I'm not saying I don't like Stanley Kubrick, but I'm like, I tend to be like a Spielberg mm-hmm. kind of person yeah, like that. Like or that. Um, George Lucas or, you know, Wes Craven. You know, you get my point when I'm, you know. Well, and it's, that, yeah. I have Alfred Hitchcock. Like, oh my God. Like, it's just, you know. Well, and him, what? Apparently. Well, I like just shining, so I can't say it's just Stanley Kubrick, right? No, it's but what be this movie in general? But what uh, what Lucas and Spielberg and directors like that have in common that is different from a Kubrick is they are making they're first and foremost making entertainment, and then they might be throwing a message in there or some you know as. Uh, Spielberg got older. He, you know, he did things like, I mean, in the same year he made Jurassic Park and Schindler's List, right? So he like he hit both sides of the coin there. But Kubrick was, I'm going to make art and then put it out there, and you're going to decide if you like it or not. Spielberg is like, I want to make a movie that people like. So I think that's a big difference in in their styles, and both are are perfectly valid. So Kubrick is going to say, all right, I'm going to make full metal jacket and it's going to be difficult to watch or I'm going, I'm David Lynch and I'm a crazy person. I'm just going to make something that, that means something maybe or not. I don't know, but here it is. Figure like it full out. Full metal jacket. <laughs> so, I you like know, the that's, shining. Yeah. Did you see the clockwork orange? I have. I, I don't know. I know I have, I have, and it's not an easy movie to watch, but there are parts, there are definitely a, an appreciation I have for it. Um, so, it, you know, and, and that's the thing. That's what I like about movies is you can have your your uh, Robert Altman or your Stanley Kubrick or, you know, these kind of, uh, you know, David Lynch, David Cronenberg. He's weird or artsy or out there or crazy things. And then you can also have your J.J. Abrams and your Steven Spielbergs and going to make some popcorn fair. Right. I mean, because yeah, they're Abrams. all talented. It's just the the actual like what they're trying to, to say with what they put on the screen kind mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I think specifically it was this movie cuz I can actually think of other Kubrick things that I like and I think it's just just this movie probably being from 68. Well, and just being slow, right? Like it is it is a slow movie. You have to you had said I, who was it that said something like is is, is the entire movie going to be like this like 5 minutes in? That was and, that was me. Yeah, because I'm think, like this pacing, like I know it's deliberate pacing because it wants me to like focus and like think and stuff. But my brain is like always thinking and I don't want to think anymore. I want to watch a movie and be like, and that, OK, like I know I'm yeah. not an intellectual, but well, I'm smart. And, and then my rea- my reaction to you asking that was like strap in. We're going to be here for a while. Like we got two and a half hours of this. Um, it's like I put my seatbelt on. I'm a chair. <laughs> A uh, couple of quick things. Did you know that there was a Marvel Comics uh, version of this? <laughs> In 1977, no. Marvel Comics published an adaptation of the film created by Jack Kirby. 
And he actually went on to make a short series based off of a character that he uh, that he made in this called The Machine Man uh, in his adaptation, which is still part of Marvel Comics today. But I thought I had no idea until I was reading about it today that there was a Marvel Comics adaptation of 2001 A Space Odyssey. So, you know. Well, Jack Kirby is known for some pretty trippy artwork, so I bet you the Stargate scene was pretty sweet. Oh, I bet. I mean, I want to find that. I- I may have seen that. I didn't realize it was from comic, though. Yeah. Uh, the monolith was originally designed as a tetrahedron, and Kubrick thought that it would make people think of pyramids, so they, they went through a few different adaptations of it. There was going to be a transparent cube at one point, but it kept reflecting studio lights, and it was really hard to film. Gelatinous Companion cube. cube. Yep. Uh, but they ended up going with that um, that black slab. And who was it that mentioned that it looked like it was a photograph placed over top of the film frame? Was that you, Charlie? That was me. It, okay. it, it looked like it was something that was was physically drawn onto the the film frame to, to make it look. I know that it was supposed to specifically look like it didn't belong, mm-hmm. like it was odd and weird. And I get that. Mm-hmm. But um, it, like it was very obviously something that was drawn on the film frame. And it was it was because of the the way the the black that they used for it that it made it look like that. And um, every effect shot was basically drawing out black. So I think they may have even done some uh, roto or not rotoscope, but some effect shots on those to kind of create extra layers of sort of that otherworldly look to it. So um, I love the the look of the monolith, the, with the exception of when it's floating in space, it definitely looks like an effect shot. Um, now, at the time that we're recording this, uh, a week ago, there was a news article about a metal monolith appearing, uh, even though it had been there for a few years, in the Utah desert. And I thought that was hilarious. I read about that. And I'm like, of all the weeks for this story to break, it has to be this week. You heard it disappeared, right? Yes. And then I yeah, read this yeah, earlier today. today. It's gone. <laughs> yeah, I, I read, like, that. I read the day that's gone now. So, okay. I, I'm like, this isn't right. They can't do this to us. I promise. Oh, also, I had nothing to do with it. In keeping with that spirit, uh, on Twitter, one of the people that liked your tweet was Hal9000. So Excellent. you might want to be careful. Okay. I'll watch out. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's 2001. It is. It's a weird movie. It's a slow movie. But I think it is one of the better science fiction movies that's ever been produced personally now some of that is i saw it at a younger age i've seen it on the big screen and that kind of idea of this speculation and these these thoughts that um what could be what is like without filling in all those blanks to me that's something that i really enjoy so i I did like it and i recommend uh people see it and if you haven't watched it for a while watch it again because it's it's honestly if for nothing other than the visuals, it really holds up. And the music is great, too. Those are great classic classical songs. I would like to also recommend that people watch this. Uh, for number one, because lots of people love it. They say it's a good film. But also for the reason that Charlie said earlier, which is that <laughs> if I had to watch this, then everyone else should have to watch it, too. <laughs> um, which is my favorite sentiment. Um but yeah, definitely watch the movie because I think a lot of people will be surprised that they like it and other people will um, run screaming from the TV. But, you know, figure out who you are in life. 
I will say if you have ADHD and you have trouble focusing, don't have anything within arm's reach of you while you're watching this movie because you will turn off and, and fiddle with whatever's nearby. Like watch it by itself so you can really appreciate I, it. I don't have to so, have ADHD. I'm a millennial. <laughs> so, so, so you're saying that this Kubrick movie needs the Kubrick treatment where you get strapped down like a clockwork orange and focus your eyes open and stare at the screen so you can't do anything but watch this movie. Yes. Yep. Yes. Exactly that. So, yeah. Let's let's make sure that you do that and you enjoy it. Then you will you will like the movie, damn it. No, it, like it, don't like it, it doesn't matter. I do think it should be seen, though. I think it's it's one of those types of movies. It's kind of like uh, Lawrence of Arabia is a movie that, that you might not like, but is worth seeing at least once. Please don't make me watch that, Travis. Have you seen it before? No. No. Well, you don't know. You might like it. It seems long. Well, it is long. It's another movie that has an intermission. <laughs> oh, my oh, God. Jeez. So, Monica, you do a show on, what is it, Hearthstone? Yes, Hearthstone okay. and Heroes of the Storm. <laughs> That's right. It's both of them. I can never remember. I know it's. I knew it was one of those. Uh, one of those games. So tell people where they can find that. Oh well, if you like Hearthstone, go check out my Hearthstone show called Hearth Casual. That's over on the Warcraft Radio Network of podcasts. Um, we did episode sixty nine this past week. Nice. So you know, <laughs> yeah. So there's some innuendo in that episode. Um, also, <laughs> we. We just recorded an episode for my Heroes of the Storm podcast called Q for Fun. Uh, I'm not sure when it's going to go up, but it is a very important episode. Us uh, three uh, girls, we get together and we talk about um, why there aren't any hot men in the Nexus, which sounds really crazy. But we get down to some, you know, gender stereotype things that are going on in the world, not just weird superficial things. So it, I think it's an important conversation or it's not, we were drinking, so it's fine. Um, yeah. Either, either and or both. Um, yes. Also follow me on Twitter at wicked kitten 13 and Twitch. I'm everywhere. That's my name. And thank you. That's right. You should. And Christina, you're on Twitter, but kind of not really like you're there. I'm there. I've watched. I'd look at a few things, but I am not very active. I'm not a social butterfly. No. When when people ask, "Are you on Twitter?" your your response is usually, "Yes, but actually no." So, and Charlie, you don't have the internet, so you, you don't <laughs> I, do anything. I am the nerd without internet. I, I'm <laughs> I am the nerd without internet. I I thank you again for allowing me this lovely closet to record the show in. Absolutely, I really appreciate that. Yes, it is dubbed. Is he the, really uh, in a closet? Um, well, I mean, it sounds like it, doesn't it? I just jumped. Why do you think I didn't turn my camera on? Charlie Memorial Closet of podcasting. Because it's dark. Except that you're still alive, so it's not really. Memorial. I knew Travis. I knew. I knew you were going to be for now. One of these people. Oh shush! Uh, this show. If you do like this show, um, the easiest way to support it is go to your podcatcher of choice. Your pod, uh, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, something like that. Give us a review and a rating, um, five stars, hopefully. But I guess if you don't like us, you don't have to give five stars either. But that's a, that's an easy way to support the show and kind of make it um, more easily searched and kind of bubble up to the top. And we really do, we, as in me, really do appreciate it. Um, 
and be be watchful because there may be other ways to support the show coming in the near future. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, do record the show every Sunday night, 8 p.m. Eastern time at uh, live at twitch.tv slash TV's Travis. So if you ever want to come and be like Phil Rudd and join the chat room and yell stuff at us while we're talking, um, please do because it, yeah. it's always a ton of fun. And uh, the show comes out Wednesdays. You can get it anywhere podcasts are available. The easiest way is go to the website, tvstravis.com slash subscribe, and you can subscribe to this show. Um, thank you, all three of you, for being on this week. This was fun. It was fun to watch the movie together, honestly, even even if I couldn't help but make comments during it, and maybe that took away from your experience. It's hard to say, but it still was fun to sit yeah. down and watch with you guys and it, then talk about it. It probably it definitely made it better. Like, I think I laughed harder during that movie because of something you said than I have in, like, years. Well, that's good. Um, oh, you know what I didn't mention was uh, this the most famous line from the movie. I have to play it. Sorry. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. How is that voice not soothing? Come on. That's a soothing voice. That, that, sounds, like somebody, that, that sounds like somebody who's telling me to calm down. And who's about to get like stabbed? It's like, don't ever tell me to calm down. Yeah. Calm down, Monica. Calm down. Just calm down. Yeah, that monotone Nobody... delivery is whew, it's creepy. Um, Nobody needs just, to be hurt. Just calm down so I can stab you. Come on, <laughs> stop moving around. I just I just need to put my knife in there. <laughs> Careful, I might end up stabbing myself instead of you. Mm. Uh, so once again. Thank all three of you for being on. Charlie, Christina, Monica, always a pleasure. You're always welcome back. You know that. And uh, this was actually Charlie's idea to uh, to Yay. do 2001. So good on you for that one. I'm glad we finally. Oh, uh, so that's who I have to blame. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I only have myself to blame for this one. I, I brought it. I was like, hey, I've never seen 2001. I hear that this is a great movie that everybody that's a science fiction nerd should watch. So I should probably <laughs> watch it. I I. I hate myself. Well, you have eh. watched it now. You can say that you have, and, and that's all that matters. And never watch it again. So next week is... Never again. Uh, what am I watching next week? You know, I don't... I honestly don't remember. Let's let's check my uh, my notes. Because... Maybe I like to, notebook. Yeah. Such a professional. Always. Mm-hmm. Uh, next week... Oh, I'm watching The Little Mermaid. Thanks uh, for the raid. I have... Hey, we got raided. Oh, gray muzzles. Thank you, guys. You caught us right at the end of the show. Uh, No, I've seen it before, um, but but Jeannie um, has not. So we're going to watch it next week. And Jeannie, Jeannie, Jeannie? Uh, No, other Jeannie. Other Uh, Jeannie, like a a set Jeannie? Yes. Yay! And uh, and we're going to talk about it because she's never seen it. So should be interesting. I haven't seen it for a number of years. So it's been a little while. Um, yeah, me neither. <laughs> <laughs> so until next week and The Little Mermaid, which is available on Disney Plus. So if you want to watch it ahead of time, that's an easy way to find it. Uh, what up I, where they walk up. That's yeah, all I can say. Uh, I do like to say get out and enjoy your movies and uh, be excellent to each other.
I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>